0: Well, hello, and welcome to Runway Audio's next podcast. My name is Austin Woodruff um, with Runway Audio, and today we have a really special guest. We have Gordon Kennedy, who is an amazing guitar player. He plays guitar for um, Garth Brooks and a handful of other artists, and also is a Grammy-winning songwriter. And so we're really excited to chat with him about some fun things, um, guitar gear, playing guitar, songwriting, all the above. So make sure to stick around for the whole thing. So, yeah, Gordon, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit quick, two Uh, seconds.
1: The the short version for me would be I'm a second-generation musician um, on the heels of my father, Jerry Kennedy, who's a member of the Musicians' Hall of Fame and Museum here in Nashville. He got inducted with the A-Team Players, uh, the Nashville Session Musicians. Uh, Back in 2007, the first year they had an induction ceremony, he's played on records that you know and produced records and artists that you know. He ran Mercury Records for 21 years. So that's the house I grew up in. My mom was a singer. That's how they met uh, on the Louisiana Hayride back in the late 50s. uh, Somebody put them together. You guys need to do a duet. They did. They said, you need to do it again. It went over so well. And at some point they dated, got married at 17, had me at 19, moved here when I was a year old, and so I've grown up here in Nashville and just kind of followed in that you know on that same path as my father you know uh, most kids when they were asking their fathers for the keys to the car and when they got 16 i was asking can i play your red 335 you know so it's just that's the house i grew up in and i've never done anything other than music wow mm-hmm.
0: what are a couple of your dad's cuts like major cuts okay so he
1: would be the electric guitar on stand by your man tammy Wynette. um he would be the one of the three guitar players on the Mega smashed. Still to this day, sounds amazing on the radio. Roy Orbison's "Oh Pretty Woman," Um, Elvis "Good Luck Charm," Bob Dylan double album "Blonde on Blonde," Ringo Starr second solo record, Leroy Van Dyke just "Walk On By," wait on the corner, and then a little answer lick. Um, Harper Valley PTA. He's the dobro player playing all the. It's a fretted dobro that he's playing like a guitar would be played uh, not the bar but the fretted dobro and strung with electric string so that's him on harper valley pta wow. doing all that stuff um gosh i keep finding out records he's played on <laughs> even in the last year you know just having conversations and johnny paycheck i'm begging you friend don't take her, she's all i got you played on that too <laughs> yeah but i i mean i grew up you know in the family vacation in the car riding if it's three hours or 10 hours the entire trip my dad's reaching for the volume knob going i think i played on this (laughs) i think i played on this and the whole trip it'd be that and you know i'd be in the backseat going did you or didn't you you don't you know and (laughs) of course i understand all these years later you know how when you're doing five sessions a day three hour sessions a day and when they got inducted brenda lee inducted them and said these Gentlemen collectively account for over 130,000 recording sessions. Wow. So, the, a lot of that is—I think I played on that, you know. <laughs> yeah. and Oh yeah, I did play on that. Delta Dawn. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was such a—that was a career maker for Tanya Tucker, and I just found out he played on that in the last year or so.
0: Wow. So they. So keep, did he not keep kind of a record? It just was kind of whatever happened. They
1: kept the records. In fact, they pressed them and they go. sold them and then But <laughs> guys like Harold Bradley did keep a really good logbook for what they did and that was smart but my dad he didn't do that but you know it's just there. it's such it's so vast and for him you know asking him like what what amp did you use on Pretty Woman because I know what guitar he used yeah. he would say whatever was in the studio and it was probably a Fender or an Ampeg and and um, but so those guys, I think that generation of player, they weren't concerned with what guitar cable, pick, yeah. strings is Lefty Frizzell's guitar player using. Yeah, they loved that guy and wanted to go hear Scotty Moore. And but it wasn't what kind of strings and what kind of the minutia of the gear. It was the generation that followed that were like, now we've got an array of guitar players that are worth digging into and finding out how yeah. they did and why and what made that sound and why they did why they use this and that i think our generation cared more about that but you ask somebody like my dad and he's like i don't know was in the studio you asked jerry reed
0: yeah
1: you know one day i said what so what guitar did you play on amos moses and he said i don't know son it was a piece of wood <laughs> and you know so yeah. that generation it was just tools and so it'd be like asking my, you know, if my dad were a, a carpenter, hey, what hammer did you use on that bonus room in that guy's house over on such and such street? I don't know. It was a hammer, you yeah. know? So they were more like that. I think the generations that follow care more about Yeah. exactly what was that, you know? That's, That's really
0: interesting. Was- That's a weird way of looking at it. I'm just kind of this generation is way more, like, focused on gear mm-hmm. and tone. I mean, why companies like us exist is because of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, you want to know back in those days who's who's in the band who is that playing and yeah. then what are they using and well then I want to get that so yeah so that's why we're all crazy all these years yeah there. exactly yeah. yeah yeah. That's but it's fun yeah
0: yeah that's, that's it's interesting for sure of just the generational difference on gear and focus because I mean I, all my friends or the industry that we're in here is like I mean we want to know who is this guitar player and who played this lick on this record and yeah Um, that existed then but not quite as much now and
1: consequently you know when you would hand anything to a Jerry Reed it just it was there's nothing lacking and he was himself and he could do it whatever but you know we're probably more of the spoiled it needs to be a 9.5 radius and not the 7.2 or whatever you know it's where we probably have a little sometimes the options can sometimes having more options can limit you rather than making you more capable of using just this and this or whatever, when there are fewer choices, sometimes you're, you depend more on natural ability. And so I think that was, that was them, but it's, you know, it's just grown into the, Like I'm a terrible, if you take me into a shoe store or clothing store to buy a pair of jeans, (laughs) and there are 80 different pair to choose from, I just turn and walk out because I don't even want to like, ah, it's too much. But um so maybe you know there's something to be said for having a four track machine over yeah. 48 yeah you know you might be a little more creative but then there are people that know how to use the tools and and what's available today is bringing forth you know a whole different level of talent and people that know how to use that stuff
0: yeah kind of on a sidebar of that front like are there any kind of more current artists that you see that are doing well that you're impressed with or
1: you know, I'm more of a song guy. Uh And so I've never, when it comes to the recordings and and records and things like that, I never dove into, you know, what kind of console and limiters and microphones and all that they use to make those records. I was more song driven, probably because, again, my dad was bringing home these projects he was producing. And, you know, a lot of families have these memories of Gathering as a family, watching their favorite TV show for my generation, it might have been the Brady Bunch or Partridge Family and that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember sitting with the family, me and my two brothers, Brian and Shelby, and mom and dad in the in the den and looking at two speakers and a tape machine and you know real real tape, spinning the tapes of whatever he'd just done in the studio that day, whatever he had produced. So it could be Jerry Lee Lewis's country catalog, he did all that stuff. Roger Miller. You know, um, so that that's what I remember more, and it would be songs that would catch me. And then I noticed my dad would do the same thing, if he brought home a 45 of a single, it, the song blew him away. You know, and he's a producer and a player, and know, and he also wrote some songs himself. But but it would be that song, something about that song, and 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 so he would bring home. Nashville Cats by the Love and Spoonful, or he'd bring home Hey Jude, wow. you know, Winchester Cathedral. I remember him bringing home that record, and so I was always my interest was piqued even as a kid for songs. and And Roger Miller's a great example of, you know, people. I, make, I can make you laugh by telling you I've been in the music business since I was four because my dad produced and signed Roger Miller to Mercury Records in 1964 and he brings on the test pressing he had chosen a song called Got To Again as the first single but as he's playing and listening to the reference record he gets to dang me and when Dang Me's playing, me, four years old, my brother Brian, too, come tearing down from upstairs and into my dad's little makeshift office there and just start boogieing. <laughs> what is this, you know? And he noticed that we reacted that way to that song. He went back to the head of Mercury Records, Mr. Steinberg, in Chicago and said, can we change the A-side to a different song? On Roger's first single, he said, how sure are you about this because we've pressed 5,000 discs already <laughs> And he's looking at his two little boys dancing to Dang Me, and he said, I'm sure. Yeah. And they switched the single. They ground wow. up those records, and they put Dang Me out first. And man, Roger would like went on American Bandstand singing that song. And and so it always has been about songs for me, and I would see that, and it would come to fruition in the work that my dad did. And, and even though I wanted to be a guitar player always, first and foremost, at some point, I kind of started just putting my toe in the water. Can I write songs? And and I wrote some horrible songs for a long, <laughs> a long time. You know, I would hate for you to hear the first 75 songs I wrote. It would be embarrassing. But then at some point, that clicked. And probably when I met Wayne Kirkpatrick and we started working on some records he was producing and I was playing for him, and then at some point I said, let's write. And then when I started writing with him, it literally felt like somebody reached over and hit a switch, turned it on, and from about the early '90s forward, I think I know how to write a song now, and it's hard to explain. Yeah, you know, but but anyway, the song is the thing for me. And
0: yeah, that's what so I are there I mean. any kind of more current artists that you're that you think saw or any current songs? That really, man,
1: I tell you, who I'm a huge fan of, and I went and saw him live, and I end up I wrote with them, and then another one for them at one point. But I have fallen in love with Blackberry Smoke. Interesting. Those guys are phenomenal. Yeah. And live, I felt like I was watching Frampton yeah. comes alive. I mean, it was, you know, because that that's what you know. I was introduced to Peter Frampton for his from his live album, and I was like, who is this guy? And just blew me away when I was in high school. Well, the same thing happened when I went and saw these guys, and I'd written with them, you know, and they were so nice and the experience was great and i but i never you know uh saw him live for years maybe 10 years or something and then when i finally went and saw him live they just blew me away so i'm a huge fan of them um I, i'd have to think for a little while about some other things that come up every once in a while There, are are just you know an occasional like i said a song will stick out to me and you know i got uh I got to sit in a in a in the round one night with the fellow who wrote um, "Slow Burn" for Casey Musgrave. Yeah, and I love that song. That's such so. So I just time. yeah, just when I hear songs like that, I, I I sort of like immerse myself in that song and then maybe ask questions later. Okay, who did that? And then I wind up sitting next to one of the writers on that song and just you know that seems to be the the thing that catches my attention more than anything else.
0: Yeah. That's that's very cool. Yeah. Very fun. Um, kind of moving into the guitar playing, um, kind of talk about the story of how you ended up with Garth Brooks and how that kind of...
1: Yeah. Um, that path. Well, my brother Brian was hiring Garth to sing demos when Garth first came to Nashville. And Garth is this fiercely loyal human being that if he's like climbing out of a hole and six people reach down and help him climb out of the hole those people those six people are going to be with him on the top of the mountain that he climbs yeah. and they're going to be on him you know he's going to carry them there so he's that kind of guy um, when his career started exploding and taking off my brother was still hanging out with him and then Brian and a friend of his Dan Roberts went out and opened with like a special effects company had made like a makeshift uh, fire mm-hmm. they had crickets in the in the auditorium you know and they would sing just acoustic songs like two songwriters sitting by a campfire like having a toe roaster you know and so they were always tight through those years but early again early 90s i'm trying this project with wayne kirkpatrick we're writing songs and recording demos and things and I give a tape of a set of four songs to Brian. He ends up giving it to Garth. And then I get a message from Brian one day, Garth wanted me to tell you that he got a speeding ticket in Arkansas listening to White Flag, <laughs> which was one of the songs from that those first four songs that I did with Wayne. I said, I'll put that on my resume. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Garth got a speeding ticket. Listening to it, so but those three of those songs out of those four wound up on the Chris Gaines project in 1999, wow. where Garth did his alter ego character and did that. And so, again, it's just sort of this over the over the years, the bumping of the two paths that are parallel, but every once in a while just crossing and touching like that. Um, when he did the Chris well I backed that up I had played on a session where I played on his his cover of the Aerosmith song Fever that my brother and, and I think Dan may have written, rewritten the lyrics and collaborated with the Aerosmith song for a Garth version of Fever I played on that and then back when the old stuff was new and so I did a session for him and then he would call me for the Chris Gaines thing but but the way he called me for guitar was he said hey can you come play us on a song for me in the studio yeah and uh, he said I'm going to put you in the room with this guy that just moved here from Australia I think y'all get along great and it was it was Keith Urban <laughs> so just me and Keith in the studio playing on this song for Garth we hit it off great and I just had a big time uh playing you know, we just kind of got, you know, lost in it, you know, and playing back and forth and doing this stuff for Garth. And on the way out of the studio that day, Garth said, oh, before you leave, he said, I forgot to tell you, I'm going to do this project. I'm going to do a soundtrack album in association with a movie called The Lamb. This record company decides that this artist is sort of over the peak of his career on the downside is maybe his catalog would be worth more if he were to suddenly die. <laughs> So I said, it's got a lot of, you know, like a a little bit of that kind of plot to it. And so he's going to do the soundtrack album of that guy's greatest hits. And it's Chris Gaines, is the name of the artist. So I need some songs from you, he said. I said, okay. I said, it's the country stuff. And he goes, no. He said, that Beatles Eagles stuff that you do. Oh, okay. So I went back to the office, my publishing company that day, and made a CD of about 10 or 12 songs and sent them over to the studio where he was. And like an hour later, I get a message from the front desk. Garth just called. He put song number three on hold for that for the project. And I went, "That's great!" And that's wild. I would have sworn he would have picked song number <laughs> five. And then 15 minutes later, hey, Garth just called. Put song number five on hold. He's sitting in his car or something, listening to the CD. And, and as gone. he, and after he, yep. And he'd call, yep. And so I ended up writing ten of the songs or co-writing wow. ten of the songs on that record. So that's in 1999. Well, 2007, when he's quote-unquote retired for those years or whatever, mm-hmm. he called me and said, I'm going to go do, pick a city in the middle of the country somewhere and uh, do some benefit shows for Susan B. Komen Cancer Research, probably do one, maybe two shows, at the most three, just depending on how they, if they sell. Well, they did nine. So I did nine sold-out shows at Sprint Center in Kansas City with Garth in 2007, and then we fought. And that was the first time I had to learn his country catalog. It was like learn 30 songs and you know go play with Garth. And then um, he did the same thing in Los Angeles two months later for the firefighters in L.A., and we did five full two-hour concerts in two nights. Wow! And so that was the first time I was kind of like climbing into the ring with this crazy guy you know and then 2018 rolls around in the fall of 18 he calls me he goes we want to go play three years of stadiums with me <laughs> i was like yeah yeah so that's what i've been doing for him since 2019 and this is supposed to be the last year for it and it's sort of a makeup year it feels like in a way because of the pandemic yeah. you know having to shut things down a couple times at like we played five things last year before they called it all off again. So this year, there's 17 cities in North America. Some of those will be trip, uh, two shows, Fridays and Saturdays instead of just the one. And then we end in Croke Park in Dublin, Ireland in September, where he sold five nights there, 82,000 people a night. Wow. So that's when the stadiums are done. But that's, anyway, that's how I found yeah. my way into on this stage with him yeah at this point
0: basically kind of long story short is just like the networking side of it like you didn't kind of go through a lot of artists at least kind of the younger musicians that we work with and stuff um kind of do the whole like audition system you never really had to do the and I understand that yeah Yeah.
1: do you know I've never auditioned for anything in my life it's crazy um it's crazy I have a friend that can play circles around me that's never passed an audition in his life (laughs) and that freaks me out too but I've never auditioned for anything you know we went and did a bunch of TV things with Garth for the Chris Gaines project back in 99 I mean we played every Austin City Limits Saturday Night Live Leno Conan The View uh, Rosie all these we were doing all these GQ awards Billboard awards and on and on and on and we did all this stuff within that year and it was just like going to a theme park you know for a while and then when it's over you're going dang i, I can't believe that just all that happened but and i'm sad it's over I've, i'm sure i'm gonna feel that way at the yeah. end of this year too yeah because this is crazy it is crazy a uh, week after next we were in fayetteville arkansas this saturday and then we go to louisiana but tiger stadium the week after and it's 102 plus thousand people Jeez. coming to that stadium so and i'll have family at that one you know That'll be fun. Yeah, that's going to be great.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a once in a lifetime experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a multiple once in a lifetime experiences all over yeah. and over again for a yeah. whole year. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: kind of crazy. I, I wouldn't have predicted. And I got and we played Nissan this past Friday and Saturday night. Saturday night, my father, I got my father wow. to the show with the kind people with the Tennessee Titans and Butch Spiriton and the Convention and Visitors Corporation here in Nashville. They got him in one of the Titans suites Aww. so he could be there for the show. And I texted right before the show. I said, "Check out the guitar I'm going to bring out for the encore. It's a guitar he gave me for Christmas when I was 15." Wow. So what what is it? It's a '74 Telecaster. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And um, so that meant I mean that that just that being able to do that at that point because you go back to Christmas 1974 and you go. Would either one of us had would you guess. predict that? Yeah. Forty-eight years or whatever later, you know, we're you're, we're going to have this on stage at Nissan with Garth Brooks. And, I mean, it's, it's just probably, crazy. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a crazy thing, but um, it's a blessing too, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I
0: love the kind of the opportunities you get to like just look back on that feeling that you felt Christmas Day, like getting the guitar and then. And you you kind know, of get that feeling again. And <laughs> the other, years the, later, there was yeah.
1: another thing that happened one time where my dad just—he called me, and said—and he was sort of beside himself uh, when I did the Grand Ole Opry with Ricky Skaggs. Oh. Come, he listened to that when he was a kid. Yeah, on the radio, and it was a, another. If you'd have told me back then, you know, <laughs> so it's something like that happens every once in a while. Those will stick with you forever. Yeah,
0: well, it's, I'm sure he. It's it's a fun experience for him to kind of live vicariously through you still like his heart he's he's
1: having trouble finishing living through his own yeah (laughs) because I mean he's done so much stuff um, that you can't wrap your head around it but yeah I mean but you know there was a time when I thought and all my life when I was a kid I just want to do what my dad is doing I just want to do what he did you know and then I thought then I got older and then I'm actually unplugging a guitar in and going and do stuff and I'm like wait a minute do I really want to try to do what my dad did he played for Elvis you know and and Orbison and Jerry Lee Lewis and I mean just on and on and on all these giants and then it was intimidating to me for a while do I really want to step into that arena and then of course now I'm looking back over my shoulder and saying well I've written and worked with people like Bonnie Raitt and Peter Frampton Eric Clapton Ricky Skaggs Garth Brooks isn't he our Elvis now you know I mean it's kind of crazy but it's you know it's it's happened and yeah but I also know, uh, you know, I could tell you more about it being a calling versus, you know, something I just picked out and some dream I had or whatever, you know. Yeah. That it's really, I feel like it's a calling that's been on my life and and the way we got into it. Even my dad, the way he got into music um, as a nine-year-old kid, his father, who I'm named after, was a deputy sheriff down in Shreveport. and asked my dad out of the blue if he would like to go get a guitar lesson so on a friday he dropped my my dad off to tillman franks's office and tillman's one of the writers on i'm a Tonk man so that's who gave my dad his first guitar lesson wow. when my dad was nine that was a friday and monday my grandfather died wow and so he had put my dad on the path he'd be on you know the rest of his life and then three days later he was gone so that's how we got into music, you know. And I, I could I could go on and on and on again about the calling versus just a goal or a dream yeah. or something like that. You know? well, I
0: mean, just the the audition side of things that you said like kind of answers right. that question. Of, like, it sure does. Never auditioning, just kind of showing up one day. And... Yeah,
1: it's sometimes if you catch yourself trying to beat a door down, mm-hmm. maybe you're not supposed to go through that door. Absolutely. But if you see one that is swung wide open. Maybe you're supposed to go through that one, you know, and that may be oversimplified, but I've witnessed that. Yeah,
0: I mean, definitely just doors being, Yeah, uh, at least doors being shut behind you, like kind of this is the only door you have left.
1: (laughs) and somebody else described it a certain way, and then I've added to it maybe a little bit, I don't know, but I mean, somebody described it as, you know, you're going over there and drawing a bullseye on the wall and getting your arrow, which is your skill set, your talent, your gifts, and then... I know I'm supposed to hit that bullseye, you know. Yeah. I know it. I feel it in my gut. I prayed about it. I just know it, and then it goes over here, yeah. you know. But then somebody said, why don't you take the arrow, which is your, what you're good at, you know, and, and just take the best shot you can, you know. you got to have something you're sort of aiming for, but, yeah. but just let it go. And then wherever that lands, let God paint the bullseye around that. Yeah, and so I've seen that happen many times in my life as well. To the point of where I have a piece about if I think something's supposed to happen and the answer is no, I don't crumble yeah. and dissolve and my foundation is rocked and now I can't go on. It's, it's I don't have a problem with that. You know, it, it helps when you've witnessed the alternative. You know that there's a timing that isn't always up to you, and it makes it it gives you patience and yeah you know don't panic yeah kind
0: of it's definitely it feels good definitely yeah. as a younger yeah. person in the industry definitely is helpful because mm-hmm. i've had my fair share of no's and fair share of yeses and yeah both have been an experience for sure
1: so well, yeah if you're a songwriter you're going to get her. you're going to hear no the majority of the time yeah. you may hear yes if you're successful like a roaring success you may be yes one out of ten times yeah you know and baseball players are roaring successes if they're a three out of ten you know yeah. but a songwriter can be one out of ten but so it's hard not to let those to yeah yeah And <laughs> but it's hard not to let those other the, yeah. all the no's you know keep you from continuing absolutely
0: um kind of on the guitar playing side of things so I mean you've been playing guitar since when did you start playing guitar
1: I probably started courting and stuff maybe around nine ten and eleven yeah. you know getting a metal bay fun with the guitar uh learn some major minor chords okay you know and then when i got that electric guitar for christmas when i was 15 that's when it was no looking back for me
0: yeah yeah so from then on like how has like the learning experience been for you like learning the guitar
1: yeah um i always you know i was i would play all the time you know and then when i got in high school and particularly uh became friends with Dan Huff because we went to high school together and there's a guy that if you're going to spend time playing guitar with him, you either need to get good at it or forget (laughs) it, you know? So he was always pushing the envelope and making me kind of kept seeing the bar going up and up and up and up and up, you know? And, you know, I spent a, a number of years, I would say just in general experience terms, you know, stepping into this arena and that, studio and whatever I was doing with the guitar, being a little hesitant and worried that, am I going to be able to deliver? And then at some point in my life, I, I found a piece in, and I reached a stage where if I were invited to come do something, they already knew what I did. So I wasn't going there wondering if I can do what they expect me to do. They already kind of know. So that made a difference, you know, somewhere along the lines of just confidence and mm-hmm. but i mean i to this day i can i play the guitar like you know some people pick up their smartphone mm-hmm. and then they hold their phone right here and they go now why did i pick this up you know they're just out of habit they're picking this up that's kind of how i am with a guitar and sometimes it might i might be purposing to try one of your cables or to try this pedal or or this amplifier or practice for something i'm going to do with garth that he's going to add a song or whatever it is a lot of times when i pick up the guitar with that in mind or even just stretch the new strings i just you know stretch the strings within some sometimes five ten minutes i'm reaching for my phone to record an idea so song ideas come to me just from having the instrument in my hands Mm -hmm. um, different instruments you know taking you down different paths which is always fun but it's it's still kind of a a part of the big picture, you know, yeah. it's it's um, I mean, I look at you know, even the guitars hanging on the wall here, they're art, but they're also um, they have this purpose to them, and yeah, and I, I think that even in terms of you know, if if we don't praise God, the rocks and the hills, mm-hmm. and so uh, that could still be a tree and yeah. be doing that job, you mm-hmm. know, but when we get a hold of something like that and craft this thing and fashion and make music with it. It's the same thing, but it's something we're participating in a little yeah. more now. And it just feels, this is there's a thing about playing the guitar to me that I just love doing it. Yeah. And the fact that I get to, you know, make a living and all that stuff with that is it's, it's wonderful.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Do you find yourself kind of like, Getting stagnant on like learning the guitar? Like, are you continuously learning new things or like what kind of is your?
1: Yeah, you know, I never took lessons and so I would, I couldn't describe to you if I've learned in a poor way or a really <laughs> yeah. good way. And if somebody said, teach me something, I would have to go, how do I teach that? <laughs> because I didn't learn that from somebody else, so I don't have a method there. Um, but yeah, I find my, it's interesting though. And I'll surprise myself, even at the age I'm at now, that I got better at something, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of times it's because the opportunities that are put in front mm-hmm. of me that that cause you to have to sort of focus on mm-hmm. a, a different nuance of playing guitar than you would if you were just writing songs, you know. Uh, you know, there's the. Yeah if I was just going to write Roger Miller style songs and I would do what the, you know, those guys would say, stay down here where the money chords are, <laughs> you know, but because I play, uh, in a Tom Petty cover band called the Petty Junkies because I play for Garth Brooks because I have, I go and play change the world, which is a chord book as a chord chart, you know, yeah. lots of chords. So I, I mean, I have to keep doing different things, you know, um, go where as Jerry Reed would say don't go up there where the dust is on the fretboard you know (laughs) but I mean different things cause me to have to explore the different parts of the fretboard of the guitar and then sonically you know there's always well well, gosh if I'm going to be doing the Tom Petty music let's talk about how to get those sounds from those records and so there's always something pushing me to explore and never sitting and being idle and comfortable on just one thing you know, I mean, it's the same. I, I wouldn't write the same song over and over and over again. You write yeah. a song, and then I write a different song. Yeah. And I'm told that I'm reading the Beatles book, and I met Jeff Emmerich, who had a book out about recording with the Beatles. And it was, I thought it was interesting that he said every time they would get ready to record a guitar solo, their instructions were always, it can't sound like anything we've ever done before, which kind of flies into the face of, the Having guitar sound, magazines that yeah. go in, have you found your signature sound? Now that's great for Angus young. Yeah. That's great for BB B. King, but there are some guitar players where no, I need to, you know, it'd be like, you want to play putt, putt, or do you want to play golf? Yeah. You know, one requires a club <laughs> <laughs> and the other is a whole mixture of, and a bag of clubs. And, and so, um, being able to be diverse in in sounds and ideas and thoughts and you know, yeah. it, it, that's kind of where my life lives and I like being pulled into different yeah. directions. You know, and never too far out of my comfort zone. You know, mm-hmm.
0: Um but you know the line of where you yeah you're interested in where you're not kind of yeah
1: Um yeah I would if somebody asked me to do something I said no nah, it's not in my wheelhouse I would yeah. tell them you know yeah. Um, so they don't get embarrassed and and so i don't get embarrassed you know but
0: (laughs) so you've kind of had a chance to play with one of our cables i mean not to do a shameless plug but i'd love to kind of hear your experience on it just like
1: that's a good name for a cable by the way shameless plug plug. (laughs) um no so you know like i mentioned to you when i met you that i really don't fancy myself being that guy that can tell the difference between an EverReady and a Duracell and a Fuzzface yeah. or whatever you know that some people say they can hear or do hear. I don't want to be that guy, but when I plug your cable in versus the other cables that I've been using, there's a couple of different brands. I heard the difference, so I, I'm. But I, so I get it. Yeah. You know, um, I'm. I've been frustrated mildly just at times in my life where I bother to sit down and like experiment that way. Yeah. Sometimes I end up doing that and saying to myself, gosh, I should never have gone here. You know, <laughs> I could have written seven songs by the time I figured out, you know, which pick or whatever. But so I, I, there's part of me that doesn't want to be that guy. But when I do hear something that has to do with the integrity of, of something sonically, and that makes a difference to me. So when I heard that, I did hear the difference. Which immediately took me to some experiments I've done in the past with, like, my matchless amplifier, which to me sounds the best, just plugging straight into yeah. it.
0: Which matchless is it?
1: I've got a an HC-30 from 1992 mm. I bought brand new. Wow. He was still building them in his house, Mark Sampson was. And when he asked me, the last question he asked me on the phone the day I ordered it, what color do you want? I said, oh, that black Tolex is great. Thinking he'd send that, you know, he had those three different colors, black, elk gray, and then some kind of a red, and it had that tooled leather kind of look. Mm-hmm. Well, when he sent me my amp, it was Tolex, like off of a Fender amp. I said, where's the thing that you use? He goes, well, you, you wanted black Tolex. <sighs> he he mistook me for somebody that knows uh-huh. what I'm talking about. <laughs> It'd be like if I was at your house and I said, oh. Uh, gosh, I need to blow my nose up. You got a Kleenex and you just get in your car and leave and come back with a Kleenex because all you had at home were puffs, you know. <laughs> he thought I knew what I and requested that. So anyway, so I've got a unique one off H C thirty. I got another one subsequently that's a gray one from ninety two with a four ten cabinet. Wow. But anyway those, so those amps are phenomenal. Oh, yeah. There's like the best overbuilt, you know, amplifiers in the world. But I always like plugging straight into it. And if I plug in, you know, pedal board even with buffers and you know all the stuff that they put in there to compensate for what I'm hearing, I still hear a difference, you know, so I can't hear the difference, so when I plugged used your cable the other day, I went, "Wait, I hear the difference, you know, so now I'm wanting to do all the patch cables, you yeah, know? I'm gonna go the distance and 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 fix my pedal board up with nothing but those cables, yeah. Because, again, if whatever can get, I was describing it to you this way, you know, uh, it's like the magnifying glass when we were kids and we did an experiment at school or we went outside, let the sunlight shine through the magnifying glass. And if you hold it there long enough and that magnifying glass is doing what it's supposed to do, it'll set the leaf on fire. Well, that's the listener, you know, and the instrument is the magnifying glass or your cable and then whatever light you put through, the integrity of that has to be such that you can still set the subject on fire. Yeah. You know? So you spend your time and energy making the best of that. Who's not going to notice? Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, and really it's not like, like I said, there's no snake oil involved in it. Like it's really just down to the numbers. But like don't be afraid to say what it is. Yeah. I, when yeah.
1: I went down to the, the space center in Huntsville, they got a, a ball cap in the gift shop that says it's not rocket sa- no wait yes it is <laughs> <laughs> come to think of it is but no you you're that's what you're putting your time and talent into yeah. so there should be a, you should hear these results from people yeah absolutely for sure mm-hmm.
0: Um, kind of on that gear side on that train Um, how do you go about choosing gear for a specific kind of axe that you're working with and
1: uh, you know Uh, And, again, I probably don't – I might not be the guy that people want to interview when it comes to what kind of gear for this kind of result or whatever, because I'm, again, such a song person that when David Wilson, who was a dear friend and had a magazine that he published for, I don't know, 20 maybe plus years now called Tone Quest Report, called me one day. He said, I'm calling several guys I've interviewed before and asking them all the same question for their different answers. What do you plug into in the studio to get the best sound? And I said, "You're not going to like my answer." And it was a good song. <laughs> you know, you bring a good song, and that's going to be less significant. So when they, when Roy Orbison walked in with, you know, they didn't scramble like we got to get what's what's the amp? Go down to a guitar center which didn't exist, you know, and and we got to get the right because that no, yeah. it's like plugging it in, well, yeah, play. Play, and whatever we're using is going to work because yeah. that is working, and it's going to bring that along with it so but at the same time though you know a lot of time and attention goes into like and again the Petty Junkies band I'm in you want to try to make those sounds on those records so you have to put some thought into it and of course the minute you start the show it's kind of all out the window and you're just it's the catalog that's just mowing a wide path uh, in the room and everybody loves those songs so much that nobody in the audience has ever come up and said shouldn't you have been using a Rickenbacker such and such on whatever song you know that's, that doesn't happen. But yeah. we as musicians Feel do. like it does, We yeah. do. Yeah, we go through all that. So we'll spend some time to get ourselves right. But, you know, for Garth, you would think, well, he's a country artist, you know. So is it a Telecaster and a Twin Reverb? No. He's a country artist. So oh, shouldn't that? No. Listen to his music, you know. And when you go out on stage and we get ready to do the Thunder Rolls and they start the song with actual Thunder and the stage you you feel this it's like an earthquake I don't think a Telecaster and a Twin <laughs> reverb are going to be the thing so it's drop D got to have some gain and girth and stomp on it you know so yeah you, you you have a pedal board which I've never really even been that my whole life you know in the days when I was playing in Whiteheart and back when I was doing those touring with that group for six years I never had a pedal on stage wow I played either a Marshall amplifier straight in or a Mesa Boogie Mark II B straight in, Wow. and would only let them if they put any effects on me post microphone. Wow! So I never had a pedal board on stage. I don't know how I survived, but <laughs> <laughs> so nowadays with Patty Junkies, Garth, and and sessions, and you know the few sessions that I still do, it's good to have some pedals. And like in my studio at home, my pedal board is a shelf. It goes around the rim in the room, and if I need a drive pedal or or a tremolo or whatever, I just go grab the pedal, and then plug it in, you know, in front of the amp. But so for the live gigs is where I need the pedal board. So with Garth, you know, and like different levels of drive, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got to have a tuner because we're going E down to D, two songs back up to E down to D up the whole night. So I got a tuner. and then I've got uh, well, I've got a volume pedal. So there's some songs where we do some swells, and but then I just got um, an EP boost right now, and one of the King of Tone pedals, and okay. then into the ODR one that stays on. Mm-hmm. So those the King of Tone gives me you know an extra two layers of drive. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 all about the overdrive levels, mm-hmm. and is it a you know is it a, a, a two layer cake or is it three layer cake for that for that song you know or whatever and then i've got a little echoplex um you know or yeah. mxr echoplex pedals with a tap tempo which insignificant you know what do you use for delay the stadium you know yeah. <laughs> and so dan hines who's mixing sound out there doesn't want me bringing a lot of that you know but i do like to have a little bit of a one repeat kind of thing yeah. or one or two repeats so in a tap tempo but that's it and then the rest of it are the wireless units. Which, Mm -hmm. see, that's the thing that makes me have to do more hoops, Mm -hmm. jumping through, trying to make sure the sound is all right. Because I have to have a wireless that goes from my guitar to the pedal board in front of me. Mm -hmm. And then another wireless to get it from there to the amp under the stage. And so I've got a 62 blonde Fender Bassman head. And then we play the amps are fed into this uh, isolation box called the Box of Doom. (laughs) And it's got a single 12 uh, Creamback 65 in it with a Royer and a 57 wow. that are fixed, and they ride around like that this whole year. And so that's my rig for the show. Um, but the one I have for the Petty Junkies, you know, is is uh, it's similar. Some of the pedals are repeats, but I have an H9, mm-hmm. even-tied H9 on that board, so I can get rotary sounds for mm-hmm. you don't know how it feels. And, and then I'll use my maybe a slapback and a reverb for... Uh, here comes my girl. And I mean, there's, so yeah, you do pay attention to how to get some of the record sounds and then you, how are you going to achieve that with a pedal board? So yeah, time does go into that. Uh, again, some of the, all the bets are off once the show starts. Yeah. But, but you're at that point, you're yeah. not worried about it because you put the time in before. Exactly. Yeah.
0: That's kind of our MO for gear and, and stuff like that of just like, we wanted to make a product and do pedal boards and patch cables. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that can be your focus like so that yeah. you literally just like you are
1: playing a show yeah i should be the only thing that can fail
0: <laughs> yeah um it's been really fun to kind of chat and i could literally sit here for five hours and oh well do i'm this. gonna start asking you questions yeah, at some point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um been a pleasure i yeah i'm we'll have you back for sure um so definitely if there's any questions that you have for gordon like reach out to us and either we'll contact him or figure out how to do this again
1: season 2 episode 1 we'll we'll come back
0: yeah absolutely this has been really fun it's been definitely an honor to work with you and and hang out with you well I appreciate you
1: guys reaching out yeah for sure
0: Um, what are some kind of dates you have coming up and things you have so if anybody
1: wants to see me uh, I'm playing uh, in Fayetteville Arkansas this Saturday Tiger Stadium Baton Rouge the following Saturday Notre Dame Stadium the weekend after that So, like, there are six more stadium weekends in a row starting this weekend. Um, Look on GarthBrooks.com for the events and the live shows. I should mention that that's my lead singer, by the way. (laughs) I'm not selling these stadiums out. Um, But, yeah, so it's going to be 17 North American cities, uh, which we've done three so far. Very cool. And some of those are double shows. And then one's in Canada. And then we end in Ireland. I've got friends that are going to the Ireland show just because well, they've always wanted to go to Ireland, and they're like, "This is a great excuse to go and and yeah. experience being there too." But anyway, those so that's what's coming up, and then the Petty Junkies probably will start picking up, doing some more gigs, start maybe around August.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. super exciting. I mean, that yeah. band is oh, you serious... you got to
1: come see these guys.
0: Yeah, who are some community guys? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, everybody yeah. in the
1: band. The front man is Brady Seals, formerly of Little Texas. And then uh, myself and Blair Masters, who both play for Garth right now, but he's the keyboard player. I play guitar. Jerry McPherson, Session Ace, super guy. Super good friend of mine uh, over the years. He's the other guitar player. Uh, Mark Hill, Session Ace, and does some live dates with Brooks and Dunn. And then Lonnie Wilson on drums. Who I've, And I've done sessions with all of these guys written songs with half of the guys and Lonnie I think just he himself alone is responsible for like as a writer and or a player like 300 hit Jeez. songs or something crazy so it's quite the resume on yeah. the stage and maybe pound for pound the best band I've ever walked on stage it was just phenomenal and and of course you got the catalog uh Tom Petty's catalog yeah you can't really it's, it's kind of hard to mess, mess that up, up. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's a blast, so I would encourage people to come try to see yeah, that sometime. I will definitely. Yeah, you'll be there. Out there. You'll be there. It'll <laughs> be a blast. Mm-hmm. Well, very fun. Well, thank
0: you again for being My here. Pleasure. Like, pleasure. Things are coming by. Yeah. it be a busy schedule. But, yeah. Um, yeah, make sure to like and subscribe. Um, you can watch us on YouTube. You can watch on your phone or listening on your phone. Um, We'll have some definitely some more extra content uh, with, with Gordon. It'll yeah. be, be some cool stuff. Um, so make sure you stay tuned for all of that. Yeah. Um, and while you're online, go to RunwayAudio.com and pick up your new favorite cable. Uh, thanks. Have a great rest of your day.